looking out the window right now, watching all this snow. Looking good, looking great, looking fresh air. Yeah, I want to thank my people for coming in and chiming in on me and listening to me while I sit here and marinate on my thoughts. Maybe some of y'all can help me with my thoughts. Give me your opinion, what you think about it, how you feel. All you got to do is just come on in and holler at me and let me know. So, you know, I got a lot of information I like to know. I'm not here to start nothing. I'm not here to begin nothing. And I ain't even here for no drama. I'm just here to learn. Just here to learn. And just here to learn. But I want to thank all y'all for coming in. Y'all take care and have a blessed day. This is Faze. First of all, we want to thank the Most High for all he do for us, y'all, knowingly and unknowingly. Second of all, we want to thank Jesus Christ for dying on the cross, bringing us back to the Most High bosom. Thank you, Yahweh, and thank you, Yahweh Shai, for all you do for us, knowingly and unknowingly. I want to thank all my interstate and out-of-state people for listening, y'all. I know you didn't have to do it, but you did it anyway. And I want to thank all my loyal listeners, the ones that have been with me from day one. I appreciate it. And the ones that continue sending me these content, I appreciate y'all, man. Continue sending me these content so that we can show the people or advise the people or warn the people what's really going on. Many people is not taking this seriously, but hey, that's on them. My mama always say, how you make your bed is how you gonna lay in it. So um, now we had this conversation about how Africa is charging um, Israel with genocide and they went to the courts, right? Now, now the Caucasian man, the non-pigmentation man, the non-pigmentation woman is so crafty counsel that they trying to cut out every network so networks won't hear what's going on about Israel. This is the things that y'all need to be listening for in the crafty counsel. The Bible always say, James 4 and 4, either you love the most high and hate the world or you love the world and hate the most high. Because the world is not doing the right thing. And y'all still want to go against the grain of what the Most High require us to do. To be smart and target. The aim was to take advantage of these radius 
Now that was her case. That's what she made, but she made it very, very persuasively um, in the court. Isn't it troublesome that uh, the Western media uh, blacked out the South African presentations? I mean, for my production team to watch it, we had to go to Al Jazeera. None, none of the alphabet uh, networks in the U.S., including the one for which I worked for 24 years, uh, covered it. None. And now you're telling me the same thing happened in Western Europe. It's 2024, and these governments still think that they can block out news that they don't want us to hear? I think so, and I think it's getting even more, I think it's getting more pronounced. Uh, 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 someone sent me the, the statement from the Davos meeting that's taking place, the World Economic Forum, uh, uh, and that is all the main document is totally about how to control discourse, how to block it. They're frightened that there's going to be half the planet is going to elections one way or another um, during this coming year. Uh, all Europe is going to uh, elections uh, for the European Parliament, and they're terrified. And so those are uh, the, the main point. It was mentioned time and time again, how to stop um, the discourse uh, around. So yes, it's, it's getting worse, not getting any better. Is the uh, Biden foreign policy or Joe Biden's instincts on foreign policy uh, hopelessly outdated, put into his brain in an era when the world was so different than it is today? Uh, they're certainly outdated. They come from a different era. Uh, the era, the Obama era, when there was still the idea of a two-state solution in Israel, which he sabotaged. Biden deliberately undercut um, Secretary Clinton um, when she told um, Netanyahu at the time, uh, you really, you have to stop the settlements. You have to stop them now. And if you don't do it within 24 hours, it's going to affect our bilateral relations in a traumatic way. And um, uh, a rather stunned Netanyahu got in touch with Biden, who said, don't, oh, don't worry, this is just hot-headedness in Washington. Ignore it. I'll take care of it when I get back. And that was really the first and only effort by uh, a U.S. president, really to say, uh, to put um, discipline, if you like, to exert an attempt to control what was happening in Israel. And since then, I mean, only in December, um, Biden was saying, you know, my one objective, my one objective is really to protect Israel. That's all. Nothing more. Finish. Just to protect it. Yeah, hear that, fam. You see how the crafty council that America and Israel are the same people and um, Great Britain, all them is, is quarreling with the devil, man. And you know why they trying to hide this and whatever. Because United States of America is being charged with accessory to genocide. And they don't want the common man of America and the common woman of America to hear this or know this. And I keep telling y'all, the earth is given to the hands of the wicked. And, and if y'all don't know how the wicked roll, or y'all don't know how the wicked do things, y'all should know by now. Let's analyze.
intend to begin proceedings against the United States based on evidence that the United States government is, quote, providing material assistance and means to Israel as the Palestinian people are, quote, affected by the ongoing international crimes and displacement perpetuated by the Israeli government and its armed forces. After yesterday's hearing on Israel's actions in Gaza, the South African delegation has rejected Israel's argument that it is acting in self-defense. Self-defense is no answer to genocide. Nothing can ever justify genocide. There is no balancing exercise as Israel has sought to suggest. The prohibition is absolute. No matter what some individual within the group of Palestine and Gaza may have done, and no matter how great the threat to Israel's citizen might be, genocidal attacks on the whole of Gaza and the whole of its population with the intent of destroying them cannot be justified at all. The Gray Zone's Max Blumenthal asked the State Department how it could dismiss evidence of quote on the record statements from Israeli leadership expressing to commit genocide on Palestine. How can you explain this discrepancy between Secretary Blinken accusing China explicitly of genocide with no mass killing, presenting no evidence of the mass killing of Uyghurs, and then dismissing out of hand the potential that Israel could be committing genocide in the Gaza Strip, calling it unfounded. How do you explain this discrepancy? Uh, the same way that I just explained it to your colleague who asked essentially the same version of your question, which is that each conflict is different and any kind of determination like this uh, needs to be based on specific facts and law. And, and when it comes to the points that are made, being made in today's hearing, uh, again, I'm not going to uh, speak to those specifically. Israel will have an opportunity to address uh, some of those tomorrow. Uh, but we again feel that these allegations that Israel is committing genocide are unfounded. That being said, uh, we do not disagree that additional steps must and need to be taken to minimize the impact on civilians and will continue to raise that directly uh, with relevant partners. Max Blumenthal also asked about Secretary of State Antony Blinken's visits to Israel. The Secretary Blinken, who went to Israel first, declaring as he was there as a Jew, identifying with the ethno-religious character of this state, which is now standing accused of the potential to commit genocide, is Secretary Blinken concerned that ruling in favor of South Africa in this case could set the stage for his own prosecution or that of your colleagues. I'm just not going to get ahead of uh, hypotheticals and um, you probably shouldn't either. Speaking of Blinken, he will be featured on the cover of Time magazine this month under the title of The Envoy, Secretary of State, Antony Blinken and the Test of American Leadership, where he weighs in on the war in Gaza and how it is, quote, a test of U.S. power. Joining us now to discuss is editor-at-large at The Intercept, Jeremy Scahill. Jeremy, thank you for joining us this morning. Thank you. So let's start with South Africa going after the United States for providing arms to Israel. How did South Africa make the determination to get involved in this, and, and what is their particular interest? Well, first of all, any nation that's a party to the Genocide Convention and accepts the jurisdiction of the um, International Court of Justice, the World Court, um, can bring these charges because all nation states have an obligation to prevent genocide. And so on a purely technical level, South Africa is saying that they're recognizing that uh, there's the potential that Israel is committing genocide uh, with its operations in Gaza and that it's doing its duty as a responsible uh, member state and a signatory to the 
uh, genocide convention. But in a more political and historical um, aspect, if we're to look at that, um, South Africa suffered for many decades under an apartheid system uh, that its own government compares to the conditions that Palestinians are living under um, in Gaza and in the West Bank. Um, and so I think there was a great deal of political significance. Um, Nelson Mandela himself, uh, when he finally was freed, it's, it's important to remember that he was on the U.S. Uh, terrorism watch list um, until the 1990s and was characterized Mandela as a terrorist by the United States government. We should just put that fact on the table. But Mandela himself, when he did interviews in the United States on his first visit after he was freed, um, there was an effort to try to get him to condemn the Palestinian Liberation Organization and Yasser Arafat. And Mandela was crystal clear that he is not going to allow the United States to tell South Africa who its enemies are. And in fact, said that South Africa um, appreciated the solidarity shown by the Palestinian people. So there's a kind of epic historical significance to this, but on a purely technical or legal matter, um, many more states uh, probably should have been um, involved with this much earlier on. Um, South Africa now is doing what I think um, many nations, even if they won't say it out loud, believe is the proper course of, uh, of uh, law pursuing um, Israel's uh, completely indiscriminate bombing um, of Gaza. A four-page petition, which was filed by South Africa, has been joined by 16 other nations. The brief makes clear that genocidal intent can be inferred from the nature and conduct of Israel's military operation in Gaza. For example, by failing to provide or ensure essential food, water, medicine, fuel, shelter, and other humanitarian assistance for Gazans, by forcing the evacuation of 85% of the population from their homes, and killing over 21,000 people, including nearly 8,000 children. Of course, those numbers have grown in the weeks since South Africa's petition was filed. It also cites the mass murder of healthcare workers and journalists who are being killed at, quote, a rate significantly higher than has occurred in any conflict in the past 100 years. And reports of summary executions of unarmed people, including Israeli hostages, waving white flags. Of course, the intensity of the bombing campaign, which outstrips the bombing of Dresden in World War II, and which features so-called dumb heavy bombs with enormous blast radiuses being dropped in one of the most densely populated places in the world. Those are also cited as evidence of genocide. If, if South Africa's petition is successful and it is able to meet the standard of showing that genocide is plausible, Israel, which is a signatory of the Genocide Convention, could be called upon to stop its siege of Gaza immediately. Now, whether or how international law would be enforced is a different question. As the New York Times noted, Israel completely ignored a 2004 non-binding opinion from the ICJ that security barriers in the West Bank were illegal and should be dismantled. They're still up. But certainly a finding from a binding international court that Israel has committed genocide would significantly increase the political pressure on Joe Biden to stop facilitating Israel's siege with American weapons and billions of dollars in military aid. The pressure is already mounting Al Jazeera reported a shift in tone from Israel's prime minister as the ICJ hearings approached. Netanyahu put out a statement yesterday insisting that Israel has no intention of occupying Gaza. Note that forced mass displacement can be considered a genocidal act. However, it's important that you know that Bibi's recent statements are in direct contradiction with a number of statements from senior Israeli officials that are cited in South Africa's 84-page petition, statements that speak directly to the question of Israel's intent to ethnically cleanse Gaza. 
that Israel has sent out an urgent cable to its embassies around the world that urges diplomats and politicians in these host countries to issue statements against South Africa's case before the International Court of Justice. South Africa is accusing Israel of carrying out a genocide in the Gaza Strip. And since Israel is a signatory to the International Court of Justice, it has decided to defend itself. But before defending itself, it has also decided to essentially reach out to the international community and pressure politicians and diplomats to issue statements condemning what South Africa is doing. Now, before we get to the cable itself and what it says exactly, I wanna give you some more details about what South Africa is claiming. Now, they filed this case with the International Court of Justice. And in its 84 page brief, South Africa argues Israel's military campaign in Gaza breaches its obligations under the 1948 Genocide Convention, which defines genocide as acts committed with intent to destroy in whole or in part a national, ethnical, racial or religious group. Now South Africa alleges Israel's actions in Gaza are genocidal in character because they are intended to bring about the destruction of a substantial part of the Palestinian population in the enclave. Now it's reporting about the death toll in Gaza has slowed down considerably. We were getting numbers updated much more rapidly in the past. But as you can imagine, the situation on the ground is absolutely dire. The majority of buildings have either been completely destroyed or damaged. There's a lack of water, clean drinking water, of course, no functioning hospitals or at least no fully functioning hospitals. There's one hospital I was reading about today that has about 30% functionality. People are dying of starvation as a result of the lack of food. There is potentially a famine in the Gaza Strip. It's just a completely disastrous, dire situation. Dozens of journalists have died since the beginning of that war. So we're getting numbers a lot slower than we did previously. But the most recent numbers indicate that around 23,000 people have been killed. Now, unlike in previous cases at international tribunals, Israel this time has decided to appear in front of the court because again, it is a signatory to the genocide convention. Israel will be represented by the ICJ or at the ICJ, I should say, by the British barrister, his name is Malcolm Shaw. And the hearings are set to begin on January 11th. Now let's pivot to the cable. Let's talk about what the cable says and how the Israeli government is applying pressure to diplomats and politicians around the world to essentially turn its back on South Africa and condemn what South Africa is doing here. The cable sent by the Israeli foreign ministry on Thursday illustrates Israel's diplomatic action plan ahead of the International Criminal International Court of Justice hearing to create international pressure on the court to not issue an injunction that orders Israel to suspend its military campaign in Gaza. Benjamin Netanyahu understands how deeply unpopular he is that Israel. See fam, this is what y'all don't really understand. See, Israel Israel, they got the clout, they got the money, they got they got the power, right? And they going to all these, they got they they got their little people in all these people countries and stuff, so they can core 
try to do their crafty counseling. Now, you hear what she's saying that um, Israel trying to get the world to debunk Africa. Now, I told you, Africa, I told you about Israel, the Caucasian man, and what the non-pigmentation man is capable of doing and the crafty counsel that they are going to do. That's why, now, if South Africa is doing this, they got some they got some crafty counsel that are coming to South Africa. So if it's hitting South Africa, it's going to hit the whole border of Africa. That's why I say Africa should be one army, one nation, one army nation. Because the, the thing is, you got people that in a land that's not even theirs. Now, let's 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 scratch our head off this. If that's not their land, how can they do all these things and make it a state? And this is not their land. They are not the true people of the book. And so happened. So happened. It always got to be a Caucasian man that lived in Africa all their lives. What Caucasian man was born in Africa? Who was it? Esau, right? So after Esau, you already know Esau pigmentation didn't have no pigmentation in his skin. So the draft and the heat had him to go to what? In the mountains, right? What do Caucasian mean? Cave dwellers. That's what they are. Cave dwellers. So if they was dwelling in the caves so how in the heck now here that they got a land in Africa I don't understand the mindset those people putting all that ruckus up there and it don't even belong there and I scratched my head off that because half of these people in, in Africa know this but they scared to say something or scared to do something about it. But these devils over here making it wickeder, wickeder, wickedness, and wickedness. And then what? Right after I finished calling, and it appears that now Bill Ackman might have some issues of his own. Check this out. Bill Ackman, celebrity academic wife, Neary Oxman dissertation is marred by plagiarism. Karma is a bitch. Karma, 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 karma. Yes, honey, it's all coming back. I feel like Celine Dion. It's all coming back to me now. Here we go. The billionaire hedge fund manager and major Harvard donor, Bill Ackman, seized on revelations that Harvard's president, Claudine Gay, had plagiarized some passages in her academic work to underscore his calls for her removal following what he perceived as her mishandling of large protests against Israel's bombardment of Gaza on Harvard's campus. Again, as I said before, 
billionaires should not be able to come into these academic institutions and start telling these institutions how they should run and what they should do. But part of this is Harvard's fault because they have depended on the donor money from those billionaires for too damn long. Moving on. An analysis by Business Insider found a similar pattern of plagiarism by Bill Ackman's wife. Mary Oxman, who became a tenured professor at Massachusetts Institute of Technology in 2017. Now, let's remember, folks, I used to work at MIT. I have some things to show you. Oxman plagiarized multiple paragraphs of her 2010 doctoral dissertation. Business Insider found, including at least one passage directly lifted from other writers without citation. This piece right here is important because people who are defending Neri, they're saying this is not the same thing that uh, Claudine did. I'm here to let you know at these institutions, though, if you use someone else's words and you don't have the citation or the quote marks that is considered plagiarism and if you are a student and they catch it you would be expelled and i'm telling you this because right now out here on twitter bill ackman's out here trying to defend his wife he's tagging mit in tweets everyone come help me poor me poor me billionaire come help my wife no this is karma smacking you in the face bill her husband, Ackman, has taken a hardline stance on plagiarism. On Wednesday, responding to news that Gay is set to remain a part of Harvard's faculty after she resigned as president, he wrote on X that Gay should be fired completely due to serious plagiarism issues. Students are forced to withdraw for much less. Rewarding her with highly paid faculty position sets a very bad precedent for academic integrity at Harvard. Well, we can say the same thing about your wife now, Bill. An architect and artist who experiments with new ways to synthesize materials found in nature, Miri Oxman has been the subject of profiles in major outlets such as the New York Times and Elle. She has collaborated with Bjork, exhibited at New York's Museum of Modern Art, and had paparazzi stake her out after Brad Pitt visited her lab at MIT in 2018. In 2019, emails uncovered by the Boston Globe showed Ackman pressured MIT to keep Neri's name out of a brewing scandal over an original sculpture she gave to Jeffrey Epstein in thanks for a 125,000 donation to her lab. Um, I've covered that email on this show before, but I'll highlight it again. While MIT and Pershing Square Foundation continue to describe her as a professor in online biographies, a spokesperson for Pershing Square Capital Management said she left MIT in 2020 after she got married, became a mother, and moved to New York City. After this article was published, MIT responded to a prior request for comment, writing that Neary left MIT June of 2021. Her husband, meanwhile, has been vocal about wanting to see MIT's president, Sally Kornbluth, fired, 
Since Corn Bluth testified on December 5th in front of a congressional panel examining how university presidents handle student protests against Israel's war in Gaza, Corn Bluth said in her opening statement that she didn't support speech codes that will restrict what students say during protests. Ackman attacked Corn Bluth's testimony as well as that of Gay and the university president Liz McGill. And remember, Liz McGill actually did resign, right? This shows you the level of power that billionaires have. Let's move down here. Oh, right here. He tweeted this to at MIT governing boards. Let's make a deal. If you promptly terminate President Cornbluth, I promise I won't write you a letter. Ackman posted on X on December 10th, referring to an open letter he sent to Harvard's governing board criticizing Gay's leadership. To me, that sounds like a threat. Both Oxman and Ackman declined to comment when reached by Business Insider. Both posted a link responses on X to the piece shortly after it was published. Let's get into the plagiarism. Multiple instances of plagiarism from a 2010 dissertation. Neary's dissertation completed at MIT, she plagiarized a 1998 paper by two Israeli scholars, Steve Weiner and H. Daniel Wagner, a 2006 article published in the journal Nature by the New York University historian Petter Anker, and a 1995 paper published in the Proceedings of the Royal Society of London. She also lifted from a book published in 1998 by the German physicist Klaus Mathik, and in a more classical mode of plagiarism, copied one paragraph from Mathik without any quotation or attribution. And yes, ladies and gentlemen, by university definition, that is plagiarism. Bill Ackman showed his whole ass on Twitter over plagiarism accusations against Claudine Gay. But now, Plagiarism accusations belong to his wife. Karma, karma, karma. And you can see the examples here. Right after I finish. Well, Robbie, revenge might be a dish best served cold, but Schadenfrada was delivered piping hot over the weekend as one of the loudest voices that's been calling for the cancellation of former Harvard president uh, uh, Claudine Gay found himself in the hot seat himself after insisting for weeks that Gay's plagiarism was disqualifying and a source of shame for Harvard. Billionaire hedge fund manager Bill Ackman was forced to defend numerous plagiarism allegations leveled at none other than his own wife. That's right, the Harvard mega donor's spouse, Neri Oxman, was exposed by Business Insider on Friday as not having merely plagiarized, but as having embarrassingly stolen full sentences and paragraphs from that not so well-regarded academic source known as 
Wikipedia. That's in addition to intellectual theft from other scholars and technical documents. Even neutral observers in the plagiarism wars, like author and cultural critic Thomas Chatterton Williams, observed observe that Oxman's plagiarism was in fact worse than what Gay did. She lifted more than half a dozen definitions straight from Wikipedia without any attribution at all, perhaps because she knew on some level that citing Wikipedia was in fact against school policy. Oxman, formerly a tenured professor at MIT, certainly should know better than to plagiarize. According to Business Insider, failing to include quotation marks is a, quote, violation of MIT's academic integrity handbook, both as it is currently written and as it was written at the time. Oxman, to her credit, admitted she was wrong and offered a mea culpa of sorts on Twitter, but her husband took a different approach. Although he insisted that Claudine Gay faced professional consequences, writing that the plagiarism issues Gay faced disqualified her from staying on faculty, Ackman had endless excuses for his wife's behavior. My favorite, quote, I'm sure that when she wrote her dissertation, she thought that there was nothing wrong with using Wikipedia as a dictionary. You can't make this stuff up. Now, as the Daily Beast noted, Ackman argued in a remarkable 5,139-word tweet that his wife's plagiarism was no big deal. Quote, some plagiarism, he said, is due to the laziness of the author. Laziness is not a great excuse for a member of the faculty, he said, but it does not seem like a crime to me. Incredibly, he also argued that Wikipedia might have quoted his wife rather than the other way around, and argued that because Wikipedia isn't copyrighted, it's okay to plagiarize it. Truly, truly wild stuff. Didn't stop there, though. Ackman argued that it was unfair, unfair to raise questions about a dissertation written 15 years ago in 2009, even though, of course, Gay's thesis was written in the 90s. He even seemed to blame Goyish public publishing deadlines for his inability to adequately respond to accusations against his wife, asking... How can one defend oneself when one learns about a 12-page plagiarism accusation at 5.40 p.m. on Friday night when one celebrates Shabbat? In an apparent effort to rehabilitate his wife's reputation, Ackman recalled her accomplishments, a number of patents, her work featured in retrospectives at the Met. He had even encouraged his one million followers to watch her podcast with Lex Friedman. Of course, Connie Gates' endless accomplishments that her undergraduate thesis won the prize for best undergraduate thesis in economics at Stanford, that her graduate dissertation won Harvard's prize for the best dissertation in political science, that she became a tenured professor at Stanford at a young age and prior to serving as Harvard's president, had served as president of Harvard's Faculty of Arts and Science for five years, were not relevant, as Ackerman, Ackerman called for her head to roll. Now, finally, Ackman objected to Business Insider's reporting on the grounds that it's off limits to go after someone's wife, which folks immediately pointed out was yet another double standard. As recently as just last month, Ackman attacked the wife of the chairman of the board at MIT, claiming that she runs a DEI business engaged in some type of fraudulent self-dealing. Now, this was not true, and Ackman was pressured to make a correction. In fact, the man's wife did not take any salary at all for her work. But the libelous tweet is still up with 35,000 likes. Are families really off limits to Ackman, or does Ackman feel like his family should get special treatment? You'll see a trend here. One rule for special elites like Ackman, different rules for the rest of us.
Many of those who rushed to condemn Gay deployed the same defenses of Oxman that they'd scoffed at when Gay was in the hot seat. Look at this exchange. When a Twitter user pointed out that Oxman had clearly plagiarized, Megan McArdle replied, sure. Just not sure why they picked that target. In other words, why her? Suddenly, the reason a person is being scrutinized matters. Of course, no such grace was extended to Claudine Gay. Now, for weeks now, I and others have argued that because new AI technology can comb through lengthy papers for sloppy rephrasing and failures to provide citations with much more precision than a student could self-edit or a professor could review in the past, any pre-AI paper subjected to that kind of heightened scrutiny is likely to turn up some error. And that while substantive theft of ideas is still beyond the pale, we may have to reevaluate the standards to which we hold students in the before times. Many of you scoffed at that notion. But now that Ackman's wife is in the middle of a humiliating plagiarism scandal, Ackman apparently agrees. As he wrote on Twitter, the good news is that no paper, no paper written by a faculty member after the events of this past week will be published without a careful AI review for plagiarism. But what do we do about papers written before today, which will inevitably fail an AI plagiarism test? Inevitably. The answer, I believe, he says, is that there are different kinds of plagiarism and it depends. Hmm. Now, to be clear, I agree with Ackman on this point. AI technology means that anyone who writes for a living can be subjected to a kind of academic stop and frisk. Remember, stop and frisk was ruled unconstitutional because selectively stopping people because of some bias, because of their race or their income or where they live, is discriminatory. Justice, of course, isn't blind if it's only targeting certain groups because of some priors and assuring that some people are more likely to be arrested for crimes. Well, Robbie. See, fam, this is what I'm saying. The other thing on that, what goes around comes around, right? Now, now, this black woman was the president of Harvard. And this white billionaire, I don't know if he's he's from Israel or he's Jewish or something like that, I don't know sound like it but um he evidently, you already know fam, a black woman who's the president of Harvard you already know they didn't like that anyway, Harvard Harvard see now, you know, now you find you see another thing, crafty counseling. Now you see the crafty counseling, and what the Most High said these clowns be doing. See, they go hard on somebody that they're trying to get with their crafty counsel. Hell, he probably want his wife to be president of Harvard, right? So he put his crafty counsel on there, and then when I already told y'all what goes around. Must come back around. Now it hit his wife, and he want to make all these excuses and narratives and all that. So what we gonna do about his wife? If the black lady had to uh, had to step down from her presidency, is it stri strictly right for the white woman to sit down from her job, her position? No, because there's again another one: racism, discrimination. This is what they do, fam. And we already want to go on a 
the 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 non-pigmentation man and a non-pigmentation woman under their umbrella, and we on and we always sitting in the rain. Every time we under the Caucasian man and the Caucasian woman, or the non-melanated man and the non-melanated woman, or the non-pigmentation man and the non-pigmentation woman, every time we get under their umbrella, we always come out soaking wet. Let's get it. Have you ever been hungry and can't eat? Have you ever been thirsty and can't drink? Have you ever been tired and can't sleep? What would you do if you knew you were all three? I've been down and now when nobody cares. Mm-hmm. Rain falls down, you ain't got no choice but wet. Yeah, Cause it's a hard life, it's alright Gotta get back up somehow, don't count me out Hard life, it's alright Gotta get back up somehow, don't count me out Hard life, it's alright Nigga, get back up, you gotta fight Boss T And recognize that in the next few minutes while I speak, more Palestinians will be murdered by the state of Israel. My name is Alana Hadid and I am the child of a Nakba survivor. It has been said before, but it bears repeating, this did not start on October 7th. My father, Muhammad Hadid, was made a refugee by the creation of Israel in 1948 before he could walk. My grandparents were violently expelled from their homes and the towns their ancestors helped build at the hands of Zionists who planned for their expulsion decades in advance. The Nakba never ended. From 1948 until now, the mass expulsion, displacement, targeted killing and ethnic cleansing of Palestinians has persisted. And I condemn Israel for all of it. I will say that again. I condemn Israel for every day of Palestinian suffering at their hands from 1948. Intend to begin proceedings against the United States based on evidence that the United States government is, quote, providing material assistance and means to Israel as the Palestinian people are, quote, affected by the ongoing international crimes and displacement perpetuated by the Israeli government and its armed forces. After yesterday's hearing on Israel's actions in Gaza, the South African delegation has rejected Israel's argument that it is acting in self-defense. Self-defense is no answer to genocide. Nothing can ever justify genocide. There is no balancing exercise as Israel has sought to suggest. The prohibition is absolute. No matter what some individual within the group of Palestine and Gaza may have done, and no matter how great the threat to Israel's citizen might be, genocidal attacks on the whole of Gaza and the whole of its population with the intent of destroying them 
cannot be justified at all. A four-page petition, which was filed by South Africa, has been joined by 16 other nations. The brief makes clear that genocidal intent can be inferred from the nature and conduct of Israel's military operation in Gaza. For example, by failing to provide or ensure essential food, water, medicine, fuel, shelter, and other humanitarian assistance for Gazans, by forcing the evacuation of 85% of the population from their homes, and killing over 21,000 people, including including nearly 8,000 children. Of course, those numbers have grown in the weeks since South Africa's petition was filed. It also cites the mass murder of healthcare workers and journalists who are being killed at, quote, a rate significantly higher than has occurred in any conflict in the past 100 years. And reports of summary executions of unarmed people, including Israeli hostages, waving white flags. Of course, the intensity of the bombing campaign, which outstrips the bombing of Dresden in World War II, and which features so-called dumb heavy bombs with enormous blast radiuses being dropped in one of the most densely populated places in the world. Those are also cited as evidence of genocide. If, if South Africa's petition is successful and it is able to meet the standard of showing that genocide is plausible, Israel, which is a signatory of the Genocide Convention, could be called upon to stop its siege of Gaza immediately. Now, whether or how international law would be enforced is a different question. As the New York Times noted, Israel completely ignored a 2004 non-binding opinion from the ICJ that security barriers in the West Bank were illegal and should be dismantled. They're still up. But certainly a finding from a binding international court that Israel has committed genocide would significantly increase the political pressure on Joe Biden to stop facilitating Israel's siege with American weapons and getting Israel's siege with American weapons and billions of dollars in military aid. The United States has become a toxic, malevolent force in the world. Uh, it, it, it candidly, it needs to have its wings clipped and clipped severely. Because all we're doing is causing death and mayhem wherever we go. Always in the name of democracy and saving democracy and upholding freedom. Yeah, it's all lies lie after lie after lie. Just go tell that to the people of Libya and Vietnam and Somalia and uh, uh, Serbia and uh, now Ukraine and Russia and Panama. It's just, you know, up and down the scale. It is, you, you know, you at some point, if you're going to be a healthy individual, um, you've got to recognize that if you've got a serious addiction, that you have to acknowledge your problem and get help. But the United States has a serious addiction. It's addicted to being an imperialist and to wielding its power around the world and expecting other countries to do the same. And Putin, early on, he, he I mean, he tried to get along with the West and he asked to be a part of NATO. Hey, guys, let me join. We'll, you know, come be part of you. No. I'm not going to have you in our club. And, you know, Putin said, okay. It wasn't Putin who walked away from the anti-ballistic missile treaty. It wasn't Putin who walked away from the INF treaty. So when it comes to arms control agreements and trying to limit the spread of nuclear weapons, it wasn't Putin that was breaking these agreements. It was the United States. And yet the United States turns around and blames it on Putin. It just, you know, I, I've gotten to the place I'm just completely fed up 
with uh, the delusional nonsense that possesses the, the so-called minds in Washington, D.C. Uh, they're going to get us all killed. They are so blind and so consumed with jealousy and anger that has blinded them. Russia's got very, very strong allies in the global south, and not even Saudi Arabia came away from the meeting and said, "Man, that was a that was a great meeting. That's Zelensky. He's a wonderful man. Oh, I can't wait to give him more money." No, they weren't saying that at all. I think Zelensky ended up irritating a great number of them. He's just such a grubby, money-hungry uh, little bugger. There are two ways, Nima. No way. And no way in hell, Russia will not negotiate on on those terms. Russia will set the terms. It's winning the war militarily. It's winning the war economically. It's winning the war in the industrial plan. It's winning the war on the political front. It's not isolated. It's the United States is becoming more isolated. And right now, in the in the UN General Assembly, it's basically the United States, Israel, in these. Um, money laundering havens from the Pacific, like Vanuatu, that are voting in favor of Israel. Real countries are going. They're a bunch of. They're a bunch of murdering thugs. They're worse than Nazis. Yeah, we're not going to be part of that. We're going to speak out against it. So, the United States is aligning itself with, with Israel in that way, which makes it more isolated. Nobody wants to, you know, be around you when you've got the. Uh, Uh, communicable disease, and they're going to be treating the United States like it's got uh, the measles or COVID. I think uh, the war in the Middle East, war with Israel, with uh, the Houthis, and with Iran, that's going to be occupying more of his time and creating more headaches for him. Because again, it's going to put the United States in a position of being isolated and not and not being able to fulfill its promises. To remember his promise to Ukraine. As long as it takes, as long as it takes, and now it's like, oh, as long as we can. <laughs> and then, you know, in the two weeks I'm going, hey Z, sorry about this, buddy. We can't anymore, man. We are tapped out. Empty pockets. We don't have warehouses are empty. We're old Mother Hubbard, boy. She's been through the cupboard, and there's nothing there. So sorry, bud. You're on your own. Good luck. <laughs> Yeah, just ask the Vietnamese how that feels, or the Cambodians. You know, uh, we, we you know we've done that before. Uh, walked away. Well, United States, the white white. There's a new. There's a the head of a uh, Harvard University. Her last her last name is Gay, and black people are protesting because she was fired. She lost her job, and she's of course the first. Black person to be president over Harvard University, and black people are fighting for her and mad over her being dismissed and want her to get another chance. And she's married to a white man. I remember that. What, what's the vice president's name? Right now, I forget her name. Kamala Harris. They were making sure we had the first black woman vice president. Marches in the street, protesting, going on TV. She has a white husband. These black people who marry white people, who have sex with white people for their career's sake, for money, of、uh, Serena Williams, who in who had went through so much racism 
just to play tennis. Do you understand that black people had to fight for that girl to be able to play tennis? They would not have let her play tennis if black people weren't in the streets demanding for fear, for fair treatment on a tennis court. And the minute that they get successful, they go and give their riches, their fame, and their bed to a white man, Mm. to a white woman. If we could do one thing, and there's a lot of things we could do that would lead us to being actual members of the Israelite school of UPK under commanding General Yohanna. You could start with this. Stop being the army for rich black people to get to sleep with white people. Yes. Because that's all you're doing. The more you protest about getting the first black astronaut and the first black Harvard president and the first black heart surgeon, all you're actually doing is pushing them into a white society, white parties, white social life, so they can be with white people and forget you. Don't push them forward while you stay in the ghetto and suffer because they're not even going to share their personal life with you, let alone their professional life. They're not going to share breakfast in the morning, uh, eggs, you know, a brunch. They're not going to share their bed with you. Why the hell do you think that they would free all of us and help all of us? They won't have a brunch with you. You quit. Jeremiah 51 and 30. The might the mighty mans of Babylon have forborne to fight. They have remained in their holes. Their might have failed. They became as women. They have burned her dwelling place. Her bars are broken. As wars continue to rage abroad and Iranian proxies target American forces in the Middle East, this could spell trouble for our military forces right here in America. As senior leaders warn that 2024 will see major structural changes for the army and recent reports say major cuts could even come for the branch's elite special forces, which which units could be headed for the chopping block. That's the question we asked this morning. Jim Hansen is the chief editor for the Middle East Forum and served in the U.S. Army Special Forces. He joins us now with his analysis. So, Jim, the Army is about to have its lowest number since 1940. Here's the the graphic. It'll be a 452,000 soldier active force by the end of fiscal year 23. Is this the number the Army wanted, or is this because they can't recruit? How did we get to this low number? We got there because they can't find people who are capable of serving and want to serve. You know, Pete, when you and I joined the military, we proudly raised our hands to support and defend the Constitution because we knew that America was the greatest and freest country in the history of the planet. The children growing up the past several generations have been taught that America is a racist, white supremacist, misogynist, transphobic place, nothing to be proud of. Why would you want to go ahead and potentially risk your life for something like that? They're used to being told the world owes you something show up get your participation trophy and you know the world will take care of you that's just not how it is and this is a result of, of that generation and the the one following it not being ready to become part of our military service and you know the types of units they're cutting jim uh it raises eyebrows the army secretary christine wormuth i'm sure she's a, a war fighter says the reduction will come from close combat forces 
uh, some and special operations as well. Is, is that where we should be cutting from? Well, Pete, as I'm sure you're well aware, you know, the, the people in the rear with the gear are the ones killing most of the enemy. And I don't <laughs> want to dog support troops. You know, I, we play that game inside the military, but you have to have the people at the pointy end of the spear or you're not going to be something that first is a deterrent and second, if called upon, can actually take the fight to the enemy. And, and they're looking at it now and saying, well, we can't get people willing to do that or we don't want to, which is even scarier. And, and now they're just saying we'll just find whoever we can and we'll put them in a room with a computer you know and they'll save the free world that's just not how it works and jim i know you're in touch with a lot of guys still serving i am as well what's your sense of the of the morale of the ethos of today's army under the biden administration it's sad i i think the one thing you could say is the people who are still willing to serve, who have that warrior spirit, are demoralized because they spend more time practicing their pronouns and, and doing pride parades than they do fighting and, and practicing for war. So I, I think we have to change the mentality, first of the country that says the military and the United States are worthy things, and then second, change the mentality inside the military that you have to focus on war fighting, not on wokeness. And Jim, you know this, this recruitment number that we're not making comes while standards are being lowered too, across the board. So we're lowering standards to get people in and we still can't recruit enough to fill the ranks. Uh, it does not bode well. Go ahead, last word. No, you, you have to be able to uphold the standards. You can't lower them and say, well, maybe this will still be okay. Uh, that again is not conducive to having the fighting force we need in a world that's on fire. Second Ezra. 15 and 16 for there shall be sedition among men and invaders one another they shall not regard their kings nor prince and the course of their action shall stand in their power sedition is defined as conduct behavior or speech incitement people to rebel against authorities what if we tell you that the era when the western countries take care of africa's security is over a powerful african country south africa is rising like no one else standing against the powerful oppressor and even caring for the african countries because the security situation has deteriorated in the democratic republic of congo and the u.n peacekeepers did nothing south africa has come up with a solution to avoid exploitation and be dependent on Western forces for internal security. South Africa announced it would deploy its security forces to Congo. Because the UN peacekeepers have started leaving Congo, it's best the South African security forces are deployed immediately. But what will these forces do in Congo? And will they be any better than the UN peacekeeping mission? Let's find out because things are about to change. Earlier, in September 2023, President Felix Tshisekedi of the Democratic Republic of Congo made a bold statement. It was a direct order for the United Nations to withdraw its peacekeeping mission swiftly. Many locals fervently urged for the UN mission to depart from the Congo, and protests against the peacekeepers escalated into violence, resulting in the loss of dozens of civilian lives. This was the result of decades of grievances against the United Nations peacekeeping mission. In 2010, a UN peacekeeping force known as MONUSCO took over from its predecessor, MONUS, which was established in 1999 to contribute to peace and stability in the DRC. Addressing the UN General Assembly, the Chisikini emphasized the vital importance of MONUSCO's withdrawal 
in resolving the conflict between the Congolese people and the mission. It's because, for over 24 years, the UN mission did not achieve any concrete objectives. Therefore, letting them stay and continue the mission was impractical. You should know that the number of troops was not in the hundreds, but thousands. MINUSCO had a staff strength of over 17,000 in the DRC, including 14,000 military personnel. But despite such a number, the security situation deteriorated in Congo. People argued that the UN mission never really tried to wipe off the terrorists. Rather, ensuring they remained in Congo was their goal. However, these were controversial statements pointing toward people's anger. Frustrated Congolese expressed that no one was protecting them from rebel attacks, leading to protests against the UN mission. Later reports confirmed that Congo's foreign minister and the head of the United Nations Stabilization Mission in Congo signed agreements on Tuesday, ending the presence of UN MONUSCO peacekeepers after more than two decades in the Central African nation. The UN mission was kicked out, and the Congolese government directed the East African Regional Force to leave the country. The government alleged a lack of satisfactory results on the ground. That's when the threats of security vacuums were raised. Since Congo was expelling the UN mission and East African Regional Forces, experts feared that it would create a security vacuum. Rebels and terrorists would continue their activities unchecked and without any resistance. However, they did not know that Congo had already made plans. The decision to expel the UN mission was not abrupt but well calculated and focused on relying on regional partners. Some media reports suggested that the Russian Wagner Group was working in Congo, but there was no official endorsement from the Congolese government. That's when the world came to know who would be the new power holder in the African continent, South Africa. Just recently, it was reported that the Southern African Development Community, SADC, has launched a mission to the Democratic Republic of Congo to restore peace and security in the eastern part of the vast Central African country. Yes, we saw something we never witnessed before. An African country vowed to take care of the security of another African country. This closed all doors for foreign powers, especially from the West, which found excuses to interfere in African politics in the name of providing security assistance. But how will the SADC deploy security forces, and what will they look like? Here's a reminder to please like and share the video. Let's continue now. Well, the SADC deployed security forces will be composed of South Africa, Malai, and Tanzania, which have been assembled to address the unstable security situation in Eastern DRC. The South African Army Major General Manwitsidi Diakopu leads this force and commands a team from countries experienced in the DRC, both as boots on the ground and contributors to the United Nations MONUSCO Force Intervention Brigade. In other words, this force mostly includes soldiers who have rendered their services in the UN mission, but were not allowed to truly work for security. Because the Western commanders commanded them, there was little they could do on their own. However, their service gave them an experience that they could use to take care of Congo's security in a true sense. Dakopu, with four completed tours of duty, including commanding the FIB during one tour, brings valuable experience to the mission. The SADC mission in the DRC is expected to replace the East African Community Regional Force and assist national security forces, particularly in combating the M23 rebels, a group allegedly supported by Rwanda. The SADC force aims to collaborate with local security forces to neutralize the main rebel groups operating in Eastern DRC, a task that MONUSCO and the East African Community Regional Force have struggled with for the past 20 years. But are South African forces capable of managing the security situation in Congo? Well, that's what you should know about South Africa and its true power. Post-apartheid South Africa has played a crucial role as a mediator and peacemaker in Africa, particularly focusing on the Democratic Republic of Congo. 
Therefore, the South African National Defense Force is set to lead the force for the Southern African Development Community, SADC. Notably, the South African government has increasingly utilized the military for domestic security and policing roles while simultaneously participating in international peace missions. These missions include combat operations in the DRC and Mozambique and shorter ad hoc deployments. Years of experience allow South Africa to take charge of Congo's security and fight rebels once and for all. But why is South Africa taking matters into its own hands? Well, South Africa is strategically making decisions that are claiming the lost glory. On the one hand, South Africa aims to show African self-reliance in addressing security challenges on the continent, while on the other hand, it plans to close all doors for Western troops. This aligns with the broader narrative of nations taking ownership of their security concerns and asserting independence from external interventions. South Africa's leadership role reflects a belief in the capability of African nations to build and sustain effective security forces, highlighting their military and strategic prowess in handling conflicts and maintaining peace within their borders and the region. The decision to lead the SADC also stems from a historical distrust of Western involvement in African affairs, indicating that African nations can address their issues without heavy reliance on external powers. South Africa's leadership carries political symbolism, portraying a statement of regional solidarity and cooperation among African nations to address common challenges, fostering unity and shared responsibility within SADC. The deployment of security forces to the DRC, under South Africa's leadership, responds to specific regional threats such as the activities of rebel groups like the M23, demonstrating a commitment to regional stability and suppressing threats that could impact neighboring countries. Additionally, South Africa leading the SADC intervention allows Africa to reduce dependence on untroops for regional security. It reflects a desire for more control over strategies and decisions related to peacekeeping efforts in the region rather than relying on external organizations. If this deployment proves effective, which South Africa will try best, it will show Africa that they don't have to rely on Western troops and open their countries and resources for them. This will be the beginning of a new era. What do you think? Should African countries establish a mutual security force that can take care of terrorists and replace the UN and foreign troops? Isn't it true that South Africa is becoming the country that can unite African nations and make the continent stronger than ever? In the comment section right below. See, Sam. See, fam. When I first heard this, it really touched my heart. Um, got me feeling a certain type of way. Um, because ever since I've been doing my podcast, when I start doing my podcast, I'm always talking about Africa. I'm always talking about Africa. And I've been talking about Africa all this since. And I see the change that they're making. You know, I don't know if this is the spirit of my voice or they catching it or somebody is listening or somebody is building fences. But right now, I'm proud of what Africa is doing. Work within work within that's all I say we all cousins out there I shouldn't even look at you You eat y'all on rich land that the most high put out there for everybody to eat once y'all get these scavengers out 
and them them Uncle Tom leaders that the uh, other country got by the balls, cut them off. Don't give them no. They so invest in um um evil and wickedness. They they don't need to. They they need to be removed. Need a new cleansing. This is why, you know, I see them making moves. South Africa is taking Israel to court, and 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 they're supposed to be the big boys of the world. And they don't and they don't even know that the world needs them, but they got to organize the army. They got to have a defense. They got to have the defense. They got to have one army for one Africa. And then they can just split the army up how they want to. But it got to be one army, one nation army. Because, you know, they already put us in the flam flam, move this, shot this, kill this. Hey. I don't know why if other people saying why Faye saying this why he saying that Africa because man I see so many I see so many I be seeing so many stuff on here as I be doing my content about how these children are how they hungry how they doing this how the women are how this and how that and how America set Africa up for the world that they pot belly with flies on their nose and looking all like they homeless and and, 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 and all this. And and now as the most high waking us up and having me seeing a lot of things that I can at least put in the wavelength that my frequency and my energy is hitting somebody to get them to understand when is enough is enough. If you get if you getting whooping, if you getting the whooping by your mama, she keep on whooping you. And then your daddy, he keep on whooping you. And then your mama, she keep when is it gonna stop? When is the colonialism, white supremacy, these negative, wicked ways going to stop? But we, when is it going to be James 4 and 4? When is James 4 and 4 going to come out? We hear that a lot of people is not going into the military. Why? It's Bible prophecy. You know what I'm saying? All this got to do when I keep telling you that America is about to fall. I've been telling you this since I've been doing my podcast. This is what the Most High put me out to do. I ain't know nothing about. So all y'all want to say what y'all want to say, do I don't care, yo. I'm going to do what I got to do because if I see all this stuff going on, if my life is gone, I want to make sure my spirit okay. That's an individual work. If a man go out here and work on football technique, basketball technique, uh, a baseball technique, track technique, but you can't work on your spiritual technique, I don't know. I do. I can't 
I'm, I'm so much invested in this, fam. I'm so much invested in this. I can't allow anything or anybody to discourage me to what I need to be doing. If we ain't on the same page, then I got to keep going the way that the most high turned me. I'm not going to get caught up in this stuff. You know what I'm saying? And, and I'm trying, I'm trying just like a, a rookie football player trying to try out for his first day of um, football training. So, I don't know the mindset and I put these things out here to let y'all be aware of what's going on. Some of y'all still ain't getting it. Some of y'all is halfway getting it but moving like a turtle. But that's all right. Because the thing is, when you know you're supposed to do right and you don't do right, it's a consequence. Because you, and then you got to have this mindset. If the Most High never punished the non-pigmentation man, the non-pigmentation woman, the non-melanated man, the non-melanated woman, the Caucasian man, and the Caucasian woman, they haven't got their judgment by the Most High of the wickedness of what they did for our forefathers, right? But we already see the Bible prophecies coming through and all this for their judgment. Right? So as the Most High making his judgment on the, that nation of people, don't be the sidekick when they get their judgment. What that's supposed to mean, faith sidekick. What that's supposed to mean, faith sidekick. You know. The law say, if you with him with that crime, you're going to charge, you're going to be charged with that crime. I studied the Bible so I know it well. Yeah, can't let nobody make myself a self. Can't even lie, yeah, I still struggle, but I know myself. I fear God, I told him I don't want to go to hell. Pray for the sermon, I'll be asking what's the gift in me. Must be this music, cause the world think I'm so sick with it. I switch my style, some people love it, some trying to get with it. I think what matters most is I'm living out what's God written. I make mistakes, but I embrace them, I'm still human. I'm still human. I escape from that place that made me feel ruined. So every day I still chase what I think I'm losing. And pray to God in the end that I don't look stupid. Why do I feel I'm unable, double-minded, I'm unstable? Wanna put all me on the table so God can make me an angel. Was living life like Cain, cause I was jealous of Abel. God told me, look up, child, I just wanna save you. I need to hear your voice in life so I I could get through this for you i shoot for the stars every time and i don't miss every time i drop a hit i still don't feel the bliss and deep down i know it's only because i'm still living in sin you transform my pen they laughed at me now i'm laughing with them transform my gifts so now i can't even rap with them i need to use my talents because the devil be distracting them 